Welcome to the See the Upside podcast. I'm Nina, your podcast host. Sometimes life throws you a complete curveball, and usually we never even saw it coming. One of my own biggest turning points came in the form of divorce. What I've learned about the difficult moments is that it's not what happens in our lives that defines us, but how we handle and view those moments. Every challenge is an opportunity for expansion. That's what I like to call seeing the upside. On the show, we dive deep into all the ways to uplevel your life with a focus on always finding the positive and growth. Interviews with industry experts and innovators in the areas of wellness, spirituality, relationships, personal growth, and more share their wisdom and insights on how to create a life you love. Whatever challenges you've been through, be it divorce or otherwise, you deserve to discover and live your very best life. We're here to help you find it. Thanks so much for joining the conversation, and I really hope you enjoy the show. So our guest today is Alicia Larkey, and I'm so excited. She's a local Arizona girl like me based in Scottsdale, right, Alicia? Yep. Yeah. So today, the topic that we're going to cover is Enneagrams. Alicia is actually an Enneagram life coach, and this is an area of personal growth that I've always wanted to learn more about and really dive into, but I just haven't gotten there. So this is an awesome opportunity for me to grow and learn, and I'm excited for everybody to to be along for the ride and, and hear all about it from an expert. So Alicia, tell us a little bit, let's, let's start by talking about what Enneagrams actually are, just to give everybody kind of an introduction and a framework, you know, it's obviously kind of a modality for getting into personal growth. How would you describe it? Okay. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you so much for this opportunity. I love sharing about the Enneagram and I love that people are getting more interested in about, so I'm very excited to share this. Okay. So The Enneagram is basically the general definition of the Enneagram is it's a set of nine distinct personality types. There are not nine Enneagrams, so sometimes people can get that confused a little bit. It's the Enneagram and there are nine types on the Enneagram. So you might feel you might be familiar with like the visual circle that you see with all the lines, which can be a little bit confusing to someone being like, what is this? Um, That's the general Enneagram logo, if you will. The outer circle has the nine types around it. So you'll see one through nine. And then the lines that are going from each type are pointing to kind of your healthy and unhealthy traits of those other numbers. So basically, which number you take on the traits of at your worst and at your best. There's other factors that play in here too, like wings, which I'll kind of explain in a little bit. All of us are only one dominant Enneagram type. So sometimes people can get confused by that and think, well, I'm like a two and a seven. Well, that can't be true. You're only one core dominant Enneagram type. And that's really based on your core motivations and your core fears, wounding message, and several other things. But we can have some of the traits of the other types. And some people have traits from all the different types. So it's not saying It's not pigeonholing you or putting you in a box. It's actually giving you the tools to find more balance and get out of the box. I explain a lot more about this in coaching sessions, of course, and breaking down, especially when people are really struggling with thinking they're two numbers. And I 
explained why in different seasons you might exhibit more of one trait than another. And especially younger years and older years. I'm in my 40s and I very much take on the my wing, which is a wing three, than I did with a wing one in my younger years. And that's from deeply like learning and understanding wings. So on each side of your core Enneagram number, for instance, I'm a two, I'm an Enneagram two. On the sides of that are your wing numbers. So on the side of a two is a one and a three. So I'm an Enneagram two. That means my wing numbers can only be a one or a three. I cannot have a wing seven. So I might take on the traits of one of those more than the other, especially at a different season of my life or not at all, or have a balance of both. Some people have a balance of both. For me, an Enneagram 2, I'm an Enneagram 2 with a strong three wing. My three wing especially comes out in my businesses more than it does in my relationships. In my relationships, my core two is fully there and fully present. When my kids were younger and I was a full-time stay-at-home mom, I was definitely more of an Enneagram 2 with a strong one wing. I'm having to you know, make sure things are right and wrong, teach morals. I'm having young kids, so I'm going through all that. You need a little more sense of control because it's chaos, right, when they're, when we have littles. So our wings can be very different in your younger years versus your, your later years, but your core number doesn't change. And I think that's something really important for people to understand. You're not a two and then turn into a seven, but you might have some of those traits. And when we dive deep into coaching, you can understand why. And what seasons are those more coming out in? There's a reason for that. So I will be a proud two for life. That won't be changing. So basically the Enneagram is the tool that you start learning and understanding all the reasons for why and how you are the way you are and essentially how you're filtering the world from relationships to business to how you treat yourself internally to um, anything else going on. It's how you're filtering everything. And more importantly, how you can work to improve the way that you're navigating through the relation, through your relationships, through your world, by understanding yourself more deeply than you ever have so that you can become the best, best version of yourself, which is all what we really want anyway. Oh, absolutely. For sure. So I have a lot of questions. I'm really excited to learn more about this. I just, I love the kind of idea behind it, that it gives you a view of who you are, how you do things, how you can be better, how you can relate better to people. So where do you, where does someone get started? How do you find out what your Enneagram type is? Okay. So as we were talking, there's nine core dominant Enneagram types. So basically on my website, I give a little snippet of each one of those. There are so many more layers to each one of those, but sometimes if you go to, you can go to any website or pick up an Enneagram book and be able to find out like, what are the, what are the nine types and what are those different traits that the nine types are? But the key motivation, the key important thing for you to understand and be able to weed out what your type is, is by knowing the core motivation and the core fear. So we all have, so for instance, a six is motivated by being secure, being safe. Their fear is not having support, not being safe. So we all feel that way, right? I'm not reckless just because I'm a two and go out there and am willing to feel unsafe. We all seek these things, but for them, everything is filtered through that, even unconsciously. For me as a two, 
I want to be loved. I need to be loved. My fear is being unloved or unworthy of love. So for me, that can play in in so many ways, including obviously in relationships. Relationships are the heart of everything for a two. We filter everything relationally. So knowing these things, knowing these different subject areas is the key to finding your type. So there are a ton of quizzes online and you can do any of those quizzes. But what I like to tell people is when you're doing a quiz, every question, there's a front end of the question and a back end of the question. So a question you might find on an Enneagram quiz is when you walk into the room, are you going to the center of the room and the first one to start talking? Well, if you ask me that about walking into a room with my five best friends, I'm going to be like, yep, I'm totally going to be comfortable, right? What does that question really mean? Does it mean at a Christmas party where you don't know anybody and you're with your spouse's employee, employees and coworkers, right? We're not going to do that, but that can tie into introverted, extroverted, et cetera. So sometimes with these quizzes, when the question is so open-ended that you're like, how do I answer this? And especially if it's a quiz, that's not just yes or no, but it's more like on a scale of one to five, you're kind of stuck there for 10 minutes going, I don't know how to answer this. I'm not, I'm not back in the corner, but I'm not exactly walking to the center of the room and starting all conversation. So I think those quizzes can sometimes get us tripped up or going in another direction uh, than away from our number at the end when it gives us our result. But I think they are helpful. I did find out I was a two from my first quiz and the 10 other quizzes I've taken over the years through that because I'm always like, let me just see how accurate <laughs> this particular quiz is. And so they all have different questions. And like I said, it really does matter when a quiz has a yes or no, as opposed to that one through five. So a lot of people are like, I don't know how to answer this. Let me hit three. Let me hit the middle, right? Which isn't necessarily helpful. And then there are those questions where you're like, oh yeah, I'm definitely not that. Let me go to one. So that's how you can start trying to find out your Enneagram number. And they're usually going to kick out. You might be this number or that number. However, I think if you just go seek out, you can find this on my website. And I also will be creating and posting a typing guide by the end of this month that will be on my website that you can download and go through. And it'll have just like a nice quick recap of the core motivations, core fears and traits of each number so that you will be able to look at those and instantly roll out. Oh yeah, those ones are not me. These ones I think I am. And these ones I'm completely unsure of. And that helps us narrow it down. But usually when I'm coaching someone, I'm really able to get get to what I think they are. And even when people think, you know, oh, I think I'm a two, but I definitely have these feelings of a four. Well, a four is key because it's your health and unhealth numbers that it might go to. Your eight's going to something. So there's a lot of really unique insight that goes further and deeper than just seeking these traits. Like people who think they're a two see twos are called the helper. And they're like, that sounds great. I want to be the helper where I know that some people who are an eight kind of might struggle with that because that's called the challenger. And I'm definitely not a challenger or wanting to uh, being comfortable in, a ch in challenging someone, especially verbally. But there's so many amazing things about eights. And so there's so many amazing things about each numbers. But if people just go only look at those traits, they might be like, well, I definitely don't want to be that. So <laughs> let me just stay away from that. So it's helpful right. to, to talk to a coach and really work through more the why do you think you are that way? Maybe it's really this kind of thing. 
Yeah. Well, what I thought was really helpful was taking a look at your website. You had little snippets of each of the nine Enneagrams, like you said, allowed me to narrow it down. So, and I do want to go through the nine and get from you like a little snippet of how you would describe just as like a very generalization. We know these are generalizations and there's more, you know, digging that needs to happen, but I went through the nine introductory highlights that you offer on your website. And it's like you said, I was able to eliminate three or four of them right off the bat that I thought, oh, that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. And so I, my guess for myself was one, two, and three. So one is the reformer, two is the helper, and three is the achiever. And then I took one of those tests online that you're describing where it gave a a scale of one to five. One was not accurate. Five was very accurate. And you're right. It does get a little complicated where there were questions like, you know, my, my main motivation is to stay safe. And I kind of thought in my head, well, Yes, I'm kind of like that now as, you know, as a trauma response to something that's happened to me in my life, but I don't think that's like my fundamental motivation as a person. So there's a lot of complexity, not only that goes into identifying your Enneagrams, but we're complex beings, you know, like you said, we're combinations of all of these things. So what ended up resulting was I was an Enneagram three. And then my secondary was a two. And then my third was a one. So I thought that was really interesting because a two and a three almost seem contradictory, but I feel like they soften each other or strengthen each other a little bit. So they're actually kind of an interesting balance together. So to explain to everybody, two is the helper that as, as you were saying, Alicia is focused on connections and love and, and that kind of thing. And then three is the achiever, which is focused on success and achievement basically. So yeah, that's very interesting going back even to what I was describing the Enneagram one, two, and three. Well, you know, like we said in the beginning, if your core numbers are two, your wings are three and one. So that's me. I get that one so much. And if you're a three, your core numbers are two. So it makes sense why you're coming up with that. Or when you're a three, sorry, when you're a three, your core numbers are three, your wing can be a two and a four. So, and then just kind of one other thing I wanted to touch on what you were talking about. Well, if you are a three and you were saying like, well, is safety important to me? Safety, security, as we just discussed a little, a little bit ago, those are the core motivations and fears of a six. Well, guess what? A three goes to in growth. A three goes to a six in growth or what's often referred to as health and unhealth. So those lines you see on that circle of the Enneagram, if you're a three, you're going to see that line straight going straight over at growth. So in growth, the three will become more in touch with their emotions, less competitive as they pick up the healthy behaviors of a six. So see how it starts kind of making sense where a three in stress or unhealth as it's referred to sometimes, a three will slow down, have little to no motivations as they behave more like the unhealthy traits of a nine. So it really helps to get that core 
core number because you're not only going to learn your wings, you're going to learn where you go in stress and in growth. So when people ask me, so I'm only one number, I feel like I'm like a multifaceted person. Well, we all are. We all, of course, want safety. We all want love. We all want success. We all want right and wrong. We all want those things. But it isn't just this core, it isn't just this factual information you're finding on an Enneagram site and that you're stuck in that box. As I was saying, there's actually so many layers under it. There's stances and subtypes and all these other things, kind of like what I was just talking about in stress and in growth, which we all have, right? There is nobody who is just, everything is always going well. Some people might show that on social media, but we all know that to not be true in real life. Nobody breathing is not not having a rough season at some point. And sometimes we're in our best seasons. And that's awesome to know when I'm in my best season, what traits are coming out? What traits are more unconscious or hidden or put away, so to speak? I even think of it that way, too. I have these awesome traits as a two. Well, what happens when things are just not feeling great? You know, 2020 is a great example of this. And we can talk more about that, about, you know, why the coaching industry has exploded. I want, you know, I'm going to share a little more of that. Like what happened to all of us mentally, emotionally, physically in 2020. So specifically, some of my helper isms of being a two kind of went into a cupboard, so to speak. I like to think of it that way because I really had to like self-protect. 2020 was very difficult, especially for twos who are very, very relationship-based. And we were locked in our houses. It was a definitely a huge mental struggle for twos. So there's all these very interesting little tidbits that we can go through and that we really uncover in, in coaching specifically. But yeah, hopefully that example, just taking if you're potentially a three and how your wings play into that, how your growth and your stress seasons play into that. And more importantly, for me, when I'm teaching someone that, I'm not just wanting to teach you information. I'm wanting to tell you how to use that. I'm wanting you to become more aware because what often happens is we are, when you, if you are a three, but you're over here having little to no motivation, right? That three is that go-getter, that success-oriented person. But I know several threes that I've coached in. It's like during the season, sometimes they're like, I can't get it together. I'm totally not motivated. I owe projects to people. These are those people who are always not only nailing projects, but turning it in ahead of time. And here they are like just stuck in cement. Well, it's so helpful, especially when they've understood the Enneagram, gone through coaching to understand, hey, you're in a season of stress. Let's talk about how you got here, what's going on, because we can get you out of this today. And I think for me, that's one of the biggest draws to the Enneagram is this information isn't just like. My husband likes to call it, he used, He likes to say that people think the Enneagram is just some cutesy thing. They do not realize, he's like, honey, they do not realize how you can change their entire lives because it's not just like the cutesy new fad of information. Oh, guess what? You get to know this. You're three. That's so cute. It's you could change things today by becoming aware. It's not even like a lot of work. I was just talking about this in a coaching session last week with someone And they were like, you know, I really thought this was going to be like a ton of work. I've been through years of therapy for the things I go through and counseling. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll check this out. She's like, the awareness just does the work for you. And I mean, if we really think about that for a second, 
what an impact that has when we are aware of ourselves, because we're, and I, I talk about this some more in, in different ways, but when we are placing the blame or looking for the excuses of why we're in a season of unhealth or stress, and we're just like, oh, I have so much going on at work, and my kid was talking back, or I'm going through a hard time. Well, you can sit in that space as long as you want. You want to sit in that yucky space for a month, for a week, for two days, or you can be aware you're in that space and already know the tools to help you get out of that space. Maybe at a slow pace, but get out of that space. We all have ownership of how we feel and how we're reacting to that. We all do. It's just, it's very hard for us because we're taught blame as opposed to being aware. And when I'm aware oh man, I just went off. Like, why did I go off? Because it feels very valid, right? It feels very valid. Whatever we're feeling, whether it's rage or sadness or frustration or disappointment, that's the key. The key is all of those things are 100% valid. And I encourage everybody to feel them. And some of us need a little longer. A five is going to need to go be by themselves and process something. A two like myself I'm completely external. I need to external verbally process likely for two to three hours. And some people aren't like that. And some people have all these feelings. A nine is going to struggle more with, I don't know why I feel this way, but I don't like it. Let me put it down. So they're going to have a harder time getting outside of that feeling where a two is like, I want to fix this right now. I don't like feeling this way. Let me take two hours and fix this. So value is exactly what you're saying is is having greater awareness of who you are, accepting who that is, and learning how to manage things that are difficult for your personality. You know, just having awareness that this is important to me. This is how I react to these kind of situations. And I can, you know, let's dive into the coaching side, but I think that's really where coaches come in is they are able to help shine that spotlight on, okay, here's what I hear you saying. Here's what I see in you. You know, let's talk about a plan on how we can manage and create what you want. And I think that's what I understand to really be the value of coaching is, is just kind of someone that can guide you and help you see what's already kind of there, but just help you see it a little bit clearer and help you create a plan so that you can go where you want to go. And so I would love to hear your comments. Like, you know, coaching is booming probably in a huge, in a huge result to the pandemic, but I think it's also a coming of age for all of us on the planet that we want to have more awareness of ourselves. We want to live better. We want to be happier. We want to own our and empower ourselves more than ever, rather than just thinking life happens to us and continue reacting when things get hard. Like how can we just have a better experience? And I think that's where coaching really has stepped in and created a a pathway to make that happen. Yes, definitely. I think the pandemic definitely created the huge need for the coaching industry to step up, become more widely available, more affordable, and more importantly, more relatable. Like I was saying about like, where does the Enneagram come from? Or like, why or how? Well, if I'm coming to you as a coach, and I'm just using these big words, kind of like when we go to the doctor's office, right? 
can you just tell me what's wrong, doc, in a way I can understand so that I feel some sense of control of being able to fix it, do something about it and treat myself when I'm feeling X, Y, Z. That's the same thing with coaching. People are not necessarily wanting to go through like, you know, psychologists are amazing. I have been to therapy and counseling and different other things back like 20 years ago in my twenties to, you know, deal with some things from my childhood. Those things are really helpful. They're used in different ways. So therapy and counseling is going to allow more space to talk about traumas that have happened and, and walk through those where coaching, coaching is picking you up right where you are right now. And how are we creating an action plan to move you forward? So we're not necessarily focused entirely on the past. And in fact, the past, I do like to hear the past and I connect on the past with my clients, with my coaching clients at some point, but it's not even usually on day one. It's not usually in that first session. It's in sessions down the road because while I do know and send out in my questionnaire and want to ask you, where are you in life? Are you in a season of divorce? Are you in a season of you're engaged and about to be married and what that's fearful of? Did you just have a baby and you just are feeling so out of control and don't know what to do and no one else you know has a baby? Like there's so many of these things or maybe you're in your 20s and you got out of college and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm told that everybody knows what they're going to do. People don't realize how understand how common that is for young women. And I want to be there for even those young women who are coming out of college and like, I feel like I'm a bad person that I don't know what I'm supposed to go do now, what kind of career I'm supposed to be. Girl, all of us have had those circumstances. It's more rare for the people who have known since they were 16, they want to be, you know, this particular thing. And so it's just kind of meeting everybody right where they are. And I think people have realized having access to coaches online, especially because where did we all go last year? We all went into our houses. So how do you go to therapy? How do you go to counseling? Nothing was open for months in this country, much less way longer in certain parts of the country. So they couldn't go to a counselor or a therapist and they were finding coaches because there are a lot of people who are awesome coaches that don't need to spend the months you need sometimes to go through the trauma to see where you, how you got there. So, so when I think of those things, I think coaching, therapy, counseling, all the other layers of how you can get self-help are very important, but they all meet you in different stages of your journey. So that's one thing I'd say about coaching. So the relatable part is really important because what friend do we enjoy spending the most time with, right? It's the one who's encouraging us, who's like, you got this. And like, I'm so proud of you for that thing you achieved or, hey, you sound a little off today. Are you all right? It's the person who's in tune and relatable. And that's essentially what coaching does. They're not just trying to sit there and hear your past trauma for the sake of you being able to process it. So because of the pandemic, the quarantine, the enormous stress of all the major world events we went through and the local events and everything going on in our country, people really needed to connect. So 2020 was one of the most lonely times ever in a lot of people's lives. There was so much depression, so much anxiety, fear, frustration, disappointment, and all the other big scary words you could throw in here. Loneliness was felt by everybody, not just single people who are quarantined alone. It was felt with people in relationships because some of them realized, I don't really know this person. Or some people felt like, you know, they were in, they're in relationships with their family and they're like, I didn't know my kids are this bad and talk back this much because they're trapped at home for school and doing school online, right? So a lot of us 
kind of had to take a look inward at ourselves and what we had built, no matter where that was. And the people who used to work outside the home and that had extensive social networks at their job were now working from home and lost their social networks. I know that was really hard on some of my working mom friends to lose all of that and be home full time. Because of those many different areas that were dividing families and friends that were going on in the world too, we all needed somebody we could trust and who could help us navigate the variety of emotions that we were all feeling. So we all reacted differently because our unique fears and our different motivations and the different ways that we were filtering everything, right? Some people were going and posting outrageous confrontational things on their social media. Well, that can help you kind of start going, hmm, that person might be this Enneagram number. Some people that used to post every single day, then this happened, they disappeared off the face of the earth. Those are probably people that needed to process more privately. So there's some kind of insight too on how we each handle the pandemic based on your Enneagram number. So the need for coaching, encouragement, and connection became a very serious need for everyone last year. And it felt like the coaching industry kind of exploded because you had so much more access because we all went online. Even some of my older relatives who had never like been on a computer were like, help me, you know, come push, get this thing turned on. I need to talk to somebody or I want to FaceTime the grandkids. Like, how do I do? I want to get on one of these Zooms with the family, right? And so everybody had a lot more access because they had to get online to connect. So that's kind of one of the reasons I think everything exploded so much this year. So how can Enneagrams help someone going through divorce? How can, you know, your coaching program help someone who's, who's navigating that? Yeah. So the Enneagram, going through Enneagram coaching and starting to uncover and peel back those layers after divorce, when you're beginning your new life and breaking down your deeper beliefs about like your unknown fears and what you're motivated by. You can learn your wounding message, which will really clarify how we're holding ourselves back so that we can start taking accountability for that instead of blaming it more on relationships or failures we might've felt we had or what was caused to us. So that's kind of where the real change starts to happen. going back to talking about awareness, honestly, it can help you tremendously in the future relationships you're going to have in life. And if you're divorced with kids, it can help you navigate that co-parenting relationship so much better, um, which is the best thing that you can do for your kids. In fact, learning about the Enneagram and applying it in my own life for two years before even coming becoming a coach had the biggest impact on me being a better mom. That is like one of the best gifts it ever gave me. I've been through counseling, therapy, and those other options, like I've said before, but the Enneagram provided the most personal accountability I have ever had and gave me the biggest push towards being responsible for the own, my own changes that I need to make more than anything else. The real growth and the lasting change came from getting deeply honest about what's really going on inside you and why. I also think that once you start learning about the other parts of the Enneagram, like the centers of intelligence, which helps you know if you filter things through your heart, your head, or your gut, those help you navigate your feelings and your thoughts and your reactions as you're in the middle of them. I think this is one of the keys. And it's also one of my favorite parts to explore early on in coaching. The feeling center, which is the heart-based, those are twos, threes, and fours. So Enneagram, twos, threes, and fours. They deal in shame. So shame is a very big deal. Me feeling shame is worse than anger, disappointment, anything, all those feelings. 
The thinking center is very head-based. So they are the fives, the sixes, and the sevens. They deal more in fear. The instinctual center is very gut-based. Those are your eights, your nines, and your ones. They deal more in anger. So you have these three areas where they're dealing in shame, fear, or anger. And it also, to go back to one of the other questions, that's helping me narrow down what number you might be too by asking some of those questions. Because those, you'll be like, oh yeah, I... I can handle fear and anger, but shame, that'll kill me. (laughs) All Enneagram types, of course, feel these things. I feel anger. I feel fear. I feel shame. But these particular groupings are more deeply affected by those particular emotions. One of my favorite examples even to use to express this is from the Enneagram Institute, which I also highly recommend for anybody who's like, I want to learn more about this starting today. So going to the Enneagraminstitute.com is one website that I love. I use it. I've been using it through my whole experience too. I just feel like it's a very thorough website where you can start that process of learning more about it so that you can be like, yeah, okay, now I understand that, but how do I do something about it? And then that's where the coaching will come in. So I just want to use an example from there. So how I just shared with you, you know, a lot of information. I know it's kind of like probably overwhelming. You're like, what? Heart-based and fear and which one? Okay. So in the instinctive center, eight act out in anger and their other instinctual energy. So stuff coming from the gut. In other words, when eights feel anger building up inside them, they immediately respond to it in some sort of physical way, meaning they're raising their voices or they're moving more forcefully. Others can clearly see that an eight is angry because they give themselves permission to express their anger physically, meaning again, not physically like hitting someone, but raising the voices. You can physically see on an eight that, well, another number is going to be able to hide when they're angry, right? Sometimes we don't know when somebody might be angry with us because that's not their core center of intelligence. They might be more head-based. So they're up in their head processing and analyzing. We have the analyzers. Our our fives are analyzing all these things where our eight is having to be like, I am so mad about this. And it's very external, right? So that kind of is one of a great example of how like centers of intelligence. And again, I'm giving you just kind of a quick bite size, but it's really, really interesting. And when people are like, Hmm, I wonder what number I am that can even help someone rule them out. So like how we were talking about you potentially being a one, well, if you're a one versus the possible two or three, then your one is more gut-based. Do you live in an instinctual center of being more gut-based dealing in anger? And you could be like, hmm, that's not as familiar to me as what you were saying, where I'm more feeling-based and heart-based, and I deal more in shame. So it's kind of like one more little checkbox where we can be like, yep, leaning more towards this core number. In the ways that this might relate to a type going through a divorce, an Enneagram 4 might feel a deep, lasting depression as they're going through divorce. They're going to listen to sad songs. They want to talk about it. They They can sit in that for quite a while. They're emotional. They're heart-based. They're feeling center-based. This is not uncomfortable for them. And they're going to tend to feel a lot of shame going through divorce, no matter. And again, as I was talking about earlier, the who's to blame and the what really happened and it's their fault. I feel this way. That's not helpful to moving forward. It really actually holds you back. And there's no reason to hold you back. You get to start like everything fresh. And so So it's really important to know how these numbers are navigating through divorce. So we have four that's going through divorce because they're so heart centered more than another number. And shame is so particularly a very deep emotion for them. 
A seven going through a divorce wants to avoid all those darker feelings. They're putting on the smiling face. Oh, who cares? I'm, I'm going hiking to others while burying those emotions because they don't like to feel them. They don't want to get in the dark tunnel of pain. They come from fear and facing those intense feelings and not being able to get out of them is complete dread to them. So knowing someone's core type, especially for, for women navigating divorce, and therefore knowing their centers can really help in the healing by giving themselves more grace when they're feeling those particular emotions. I just want to bury this. Or I need to like listen to sad songs for like two days and cry. Neither one of those is wrong. That's the thing. We're not wanting to invalidate which way you should go, but you understanding you're a seven, you're going to understand why you might be burying some things and why maybe that's not healthy to do all the time. Because at some point you've got to face those emotions. And with a four, I understand you're feeling this way, but sometimes let's go get, you know, maybe let's go get a shower and get out of the house and go talk to someone and see if we can sidetrack you for a little bit so you can give yourself a little emotional peace. So it just helps you entirely. And I think this is one of the key points. I really want women who are considering divorce or in the middle of going through it, which is extremely hard when people who have never been divorced don't understand that in the middle of it, there's just so much chaos. And it's not about the, the troubles that were in the marriage. It's about all the unknowns. You're waiting on court dates. You're waiting on decisions about your kids, about your money. It is so difficult being in the center of divorce, aside from when you're like, I'm so sick of this, I want to get out of this marriage, or someone blindsiding you with wanting to get out of the marriage. That's all hard, and you get to know your number and how you're reacting to that. But being in the center of divorce, there are certain types of support systems that are best for you as a two, as a four, as an eight, as a nine. And that's my key point that I like to help women with. It's for them to find the right support system. That's where women going through divorce, considering divorce, or even after the divorce and the rebuild, if you have that friend that you're, you know, going to happy hour with every week following the divorce, and all you guys do is talk about how much you hate him and what he did or her, like, if you talk about that, and that friend loves that aspect, right, they love all the gossip and the dark stuff and and, you know, why, why do they like that? First of all, because that's a hard, hard thing for you. So it's something to think about. You might need someone who better can hold space for you in a different way that actually helps you move forward more because that's probably not healthy to do for too long. So it helps you figure out your support system way quicker. And a four doesn't want someone to tell them chin up buttercup <laughs> and expect them to move on. They want someone who's going to hold space for those feelings, who's going to allow them to take their time through very extreme emotions. Fours have the most of extreme emotions. They are not scared to be in their feelings, whereas a seven wants to, wants to be around positive people. They want to keep themselves busy. They want to avoid those feelings. So they're going to need a really trusted support person who understands what they're going there through and will be able to navigate how to get them to slowly open up and process things without it burying them. So there's so much to learn about the Enneagram types to just for the sake of getting a better support system, getting better healing methods through the grieving and painful aspects of divorce. I coached someone for two years before they had their divorce, going through their divorce and after their divorce. Because I knew her Enneagram number, I understood exactly what she needed to hear 
why she needed to hear it, and more importantly, when she needed to hear different things. So it gave her a better, more patient support system in that time period for her than a friend who might not truly understand what she needed or worse, her trying to navigate it on her own, which is just going to take twice as long to heal. So Well, and it's so interesting because we all do really process grief, which divorce is a form of grief. We all process so differently. And I love that this gives us some kind of understanding about ourselves, about how we might process grief, what we need for healing, what's going to bring out the best in us, because it really is so different for everybody. I mean, going through my own divorce, uh, you know, it's funny that you say, I can't remember which number you said, but they don't like to hear chin up. I hated Mm -hmm. that. I hated when people said, well, at least it's not, you know, this, or you could be worse. I was kind of like, wait, what? (laughs) I don't like that. That's not helpful to me at all. Like that just didn't work for me, but maybe for some people it would, it would be like, you're right. I need to look at the positive. I need to be grateful. Like everybody's just so different. But what I would like to do really quick, because if your game is do a speed dating round of what the nine Enneagrams are, and obviously there's a lot of complexity, you know, there's more to it than just this little capsule version but I think we all just want to run through them really quickly and get just like the really, you know, general view of each one so that people can kind of just hear it. We'll have links to your website so they can look at that as well, but just to kind of throw it in, I'd like to do that. Is that okay? Yeah, definitely. 100%. Okay. So see Enneagram one, as you said, that's the reformer or sometimes known as the perfectionist. So one thing I do want to start by saying too, really quick, don't let the titles <laughs> alienate you. The titles are like, I'm not that. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people are like, you're lucky. You're called the helper. And I'm like, I have my own things too, right? Like I yeah. have things that are negative about the two, right? And that I don't like to see on paper. So just before I start saying that these, they're just kind of one of those this other little flavor. areas to help yeah. us narrow down yes. what we might be. And a lot of people who for once that are perfectionists know they're perfectionists. So this helps them get quicker to, I yeah, that's me, right? Which is what we want. We want you to get more honestly to that. It's not for you to go post it as your badge and be like, oh, dang, I'm the perfectionist. Likely when people are coming to me, they already know some of these things about themselves. Okay. Well, it's not so, like good or bad. It just yes, is, you know? Exactly. It just is. And that information is valuable to use. Okay. So number one is the reformer or the perfectionist. Their basic fear is of being corrupt or evil or defective. Their basic desire is to be good, to have integrity. So they are the rational, idealistic type. They're principled, they're purposeful, they're self-controlled, and they can be perfectionistic. Um, Number two is the helper or the host. Their basic desire, motivation is to feel loved. Their basic fear is of being unwanted or unworthy of being loved. So they're the caring interpersonal type. They're demonstrative, they're generous, they're people-pleasing, and they can be possessive. Okay, so now we're going on to three. So an Enneagram three is the achiever or the performer. So their basic desire and motivation is to feel valuable, worthwhile. Their basic fear is of being worthless. 
So those are the success-oriented pragmatic types. They are adaptive, excelling, driven, and very image conscious. They're the best one I've heard. Like number three, that's, yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a three. Right, right. <laughs> okay. And number four is the individualist, the romantic. My daughter is a four. Okay. The basic desire and motivation of a four is to find themselves and have authentic significance. So they like to create identity. Their basic fear is that they have no identity or personal significance. They are sensitive and withdrawn. They're expressive, dramatic, can be self-absorbed and temperamental. So again, we were talking about that heart. They're the feeling, feeling person. Okay. Number five, our Enneagram fives are our investigators. There are thinkers. One of my best friends is an Enneagram five. Her basic desire or motivation is to be capable and competent. Basic fear is being useless, helpless, or incapable. So they are the intense cerebral type. They're perceptive, innovative. They can be secretive and isolated as well. Okay, Enneagram six, that's our loyalist. The basic desire and motivation for our Enneagram six is to have security and support. Their basic fear is of being without that support or guidance. They are the committed security-oriented type. Our sixes are responsible they're loyal, they're engaging, but they can also be very anxious and suspicious. So then we're on to our sevens. Our sevens are our enthusiasts. Their basic desire is to be satisfied, content, and happy. They want to have their needs fulfilled. The basic fear of a seven is being deprived or having to feel pain. They are our busy, fun-loving types. They're spontaneous, they're versatile, they're distractible, and sometimes very scattered. <laughs> our eight. That's our challenger and our protector. My son is an eight. The, the basic desire or motivation for our eights is to protect themselves. They want to be in control of their own life and their own destiny. Their basic fear is of being harmed or controlled by others. They are the powerful dominating type. They're self-confident. They're very decisive. They're willful and they are comfortable with confrontation. Okay, then we're on to our final one, which is our nines, the peacemaker. I've been married to a peacemaker nine for 23 years now, so I know nines very well. Our nines have a basic desire and motivation to have inner stability and peace of mind, okay? So they don't like anything wrecking their peace. Their basic fear is loss and separation, right? That's going to disturb their peace. They are the easygoing, self-effacing type. They're receptive, patient, reassuring, agreeable, and can also be complacent. So those kind of wrap up just the quickness of our nine types. I have some more information with like traits and other things like that on my site. And of course, just remember, this doesn't put you in a box. So if you were like, oh yeah, that one's me. That doesn't mean you have to accept that you're the challenger, that you're going to always be confrontational. Again, we want to go to that awareness. Oh crap, I'm getting confrontational. Like what are the methods I need to go to? And that's where like the awareness and the help really comes in. And the coaching comes in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yep. Oh my gosh. I could just talk about this all day long. I'm so fascinated by it. And it's got so much depth and complexity in the coolest way. I mean, there's just so, so much there. I would imagine you can just, you're probably kind of 
always studying it, right? And always exploring yes. and learning because there's just more and more to it all the time. So mm-hmm. there's like 12 other kind of like subject areas, like like you heard me mention the arrows and parental orientations and our childhood message. And yeah. I mean, the more layers, that's why when I coach women, And I do have like a package where you can have like a one-time coaching to go through kind of like some of the things we just went through and maybe a smidge deeper. But as you've been able to hear from just the, I mean, we have barely gotten into it and this has already been like a lot, right? There's so many incredible things and being able to really personalize it because it's not even like with every six, I coach them the same way. I do take into account, like, where are you at? Are you in your twenties? Are you not married? Are you married? Are you divorced? Are you in your forties? Are you empty nesting? Like, where are you? What is that space you're in? Because again, how you're filtering things has a lot to do with things. So my wisdom, my age, my life experience as an Enneagram two who's in her forties is very different from the Enneagram twos I know who are in their twenties, who isn't necessarily to that wisdom stage, right? That we get to be in because kind of been there, kind of done it, kind of have seen what we've tried to battle against within ourselves. And we know we're, we got to give up on that part because we're accepting these sides of ourselves. But how do those negative aspects come out less? How do we soften them? And so there's just like, it's just really exciting. But yeah, I tend to coach people for three month pack. Like right now I'm coaching three women and we're three months in. And so we do every other week for a two hour session because you kind of do need this space. Like we've really, you know, created a space here to start talking about it because especially when you start talking to a coach, you need that initial, I feel safe here to be vulnerable, right? That's with counseling, therapy, coaching, anything. So it takes a minute to always come to that. I'm safe. I can tell them what I have improved on, what I haven't. And that's the thing too with coaching. It's not necessarily me needing you to do the work. It's me needing you to hear and bring your honest self. So I likely will not coach someone who is wanting to avoid the truth. So if you're in a session with me and and I'm saying to you like about the six, like so sixes can be a little tougher to get to be vulnerable. So if I'm going to, because they're a little more suspicious, you know, if I tell you this, what might happen? If I'm releasing this out into the world, I can't still hide it down inside and protect it. So with my six, I know they need a lot of security, a lot of support, a lot of trust before they're going to open up to me. So my six is I take at a different pace than a two, like myself, I'm going to be like, Blah, 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 and pour it all out in session one. And then we get a walk through something. So they might be at a faster pace to receive information, but I usually about a month or two in, I can come back through my notes of coaching and be like, Hey, so we talked about this thing about four sessions back. I'm noticing you still saying that, you know, you feel you have no choice. Let's talk about that further. So it's really helpful because I can see where they still try to self-protect. And when my girls bring their completely vulnerable honesty and trust me to hold that and that it's so protected and that I am going to baby step with them. And if we've got to, I like to call it stop and sit on the curb a minute. Sometimes you got to do that. Like these, these can be tough to say out loud. Yeah, I do get angry. I do overreact. I hate how it feels. I feel so much shame about it. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop and sit on the curb 
with them for a minute because I understand they're feeling that. Where with a different number, they don't like that. They don't like that they just let that out. So I need to move it to the next thing, but I've been able to mark it down. Let's come back to that, but I have to do it in a very, very gentle way because it's harder to admit that part of themselves that they realize does contribute maybe to their relationships being difficult. So even like with a relationship with our teenager, I'm a two, my daughter's a four, understanding that and understanding her needs better and that I want to be the best mom. Well, I didn't know all these years as a two, I had needs. No wonder I was getting so offended or frustrated that she wasn't appreciating the amount of awesome help I was giving her. I'm a martyr, right? I'm a two. I'm, I will help you at all costs. I will stay up and do the project with you all night and it'll be the best project in the class. Our three moms create amazing projects. And so for two, I'm needing for her to say thank you. Thank you. You are so, you, you provide so much value, mom. And so I'm not getting that. Well, me understanding what her needs are allowed me to not need that from her. She is my daughter. I have a responsibility because she's still learning herself and understanding things. So that helped me with her, with my son, who's an eight, as we discussed, right? There's a challenger. So you can, and he had, and I, my son was ADHD. So I went through so many years of struggle and wondering what am I doing wrong? I'm a good mom. I'm a loving mom. I'm showing up. We are present to everything. I, I'm doing all these things. Why is this person angry? Why are they needing to express things so outwardly, no matter what's going on in the house? And had I known that about him in earlier years, I could have known exactly what he's needing as an eight. He needed more autonomy. He needs us to not come into his room and tell him, clean this up. This is a mess. That's his space. That autonomy, his need to not be controlled, arguing cleaning up a room with an eight, with a Enneagram eight, 12 year old, you're just setting yourself up to make his existence miserable. Unless, you know, you had people coming over. Why does it need to be clean on a Tuesday for no reason? Because we, a mom who might be a three or a one and who likes a little more order is needing it cleaned as an eight. You're just causing that conflict, which then makes you feel like, gosh, I'm always yelling at this kid, or I'm always frustrated. Or why is this kid's so difficult. Well, that kid, I'm really close to that kid now. He's 19 and he's awesome. And he's the funniest human I know. But had I known these things when he was younger, I just could have shown up for him so much better. And that's important to me as a two, because relationships are important to me and I'm here to serve them. I wanted to help him better and make his life easier, right? Not in a way of like, let me pay for everything and help your problems but make his life easier with the kind of love and support he needs. So everything, again, as I was saying in how you can help people going through divorce by knowing their Enneagram number, it's all about our support systems. We are all making things so much harder on ourselves from being a mom, parenting, our, in our marriage, not knowing Enneagram number for a partner in a relationship or a marriage or any, me knowing all my best friend's numbers oh my gosh, there's sometimes we all have that friend that we're like, I'm the one who always has to make the plans. Why don't they ever make the plans? Well, me finding out, oh, my friend's an Enneagram blank makes sense. She's not a plan maker. <laughs> She's more internal and reserved. I'm the external too. And so it makes sense. So I accepted that like, 
oh, okay, that doesn't bother me anymore. I'm not disappointed or frustrated or thinking that means she loves me less than I love her. She loves, and it helped me see the way she shows love. I was not appreciating those before. Now her ways that she shows love and shows that I'm so important to her, I value those so much more as an Enneagram number that's a little more internal. And so it made my relationships with friends just so much more expansive and multi-layered and able to use the support system so much better and same thing with parenting and with myself. So it's just, oh gosh, I could talk for days. Like I love it. Well, must the thing that I'm, I'm kind of taking away too, is it gives huge relief from frustration when you're like banging your head against the wall with, with someone else about something like the example of your son and cleaning his room, or if it's an ex-husband who always gets into an argument about one thing or a friend who isn't showing up in the way you think they should, it just creates this beautiful bridge of understanding that we all kind of have our own language of how we show and express love and how we receive it and understand it and just have different fundamental needs. I think that's so important in the human condition to get out of ourselves a little bit and try to understand each other. I mean, I've been in friendships where I've showed up in every way possible that felt like showing up to me and that I didn't feel like it was reciprocated. But I think sometimes it might feel that way, but I have my idea of what showing up is. And the other person might think that showing up is something totally different. And it's just almost like, you know, we just need a, a language to bridge that. And I think that Enneagram system is a really beautiful way to create that. Yeah. And you can really burden someone as a, as a two, I like to offer help and I like to advise and and counsel and, and do these things. And for some numbers, that's really intrusive and burdening. So if you're a two or three or a one, you're more willing to appreciate that about me as your friend, who's a two who is always there. I'm the one helping you move when you're moving. And I will sit with you for hours when you're going through the breakup. And and when you call me for advice, I'm going to drop everything and pay attention to what you're saying, listen, and then be able to give that feedback. Well, some of those numbers who don't call us for, especially us twos for advice, or we're like, wait, what? I didn't even know you were going through that. I used to take so much offense to that. Do you not trust me? Do you not love me? Have I not proven myself? Right. So go back to that. Am I worthy of loveness that a two struggles with? That was on me, not on them. And so I did not know that until I started understanding that and understanding them. And same thing as you were saying, an ex, especially in after divorce, where you're having to possibly co-parent with someone, gosh, if you're able to really understand their number and your number, and say you're a nine who needs peace, right? Wants to protect their peace. And they're a challenger who's needing to outwardly express anger and is very verbal or physical. You're going to know, how do I make that maybe not be so much in person, like dropping off kids? How can I do this in a way where it doesn't have to provide that physical? Because that physical of an eight 
it just can ruin my whole day and ruin my week. And it can cause us to be further divided. Where if you have a two who's an ex, they're going to want to talk about things. So if you're seven, you're like, no, I don't want to, no, we're not doing this again. That two is feeling unheard. So you actually, as the person who's the seven, it's making it way worse for the two. Not that you owe them anything as an ex personally, but why are you making it harder on yourself if you are permanently going to be co-parenting? Don't make it harder on yourself. Figure that out, learn it. It's not that you have to have these awesome conversations now and do healing, although I highly recommend that. Obviously, healthy co-parenting is the best thing. We're supposed to put our kids, especially when they're going, imagine, imagine that, imagine getting to know, and it's, it's harder to know when your kids are younger, what their numbers are, but when you do know their numbers, oh my gosh, like I could know that my eight, if, if I was divorced and sharing co-parenting and my eight was out there in the transition, he's going to be like, mom, you're late or whatever that the dad's been there stewing about, but my four is not going to want to feel any of those heavy emotions. She just wants the transition to go quickly, easily and get on the way. So you're talking with three people in this mix or however many kids you have, you're talking your ex, you, and then your kids starting to understand all those numbers will give you so much more power to control what for some people is a really awful experience weekly when they're transitioning. You're causing that every single week and it's so avoidable. It does not mean you have to like them. It does not mean you have to forgive for whatever happened. And right. There's all the layers where you can go to therapy and counseling to handle the divorce. What we're talking about here is what are their needs? What are yours? If you're, if your ex is a nine, you being like, we need to talk about how you relate three times before they're going to protect their peace at all costs. They want none of this. So it seems like they're being a jerk or don't care where you can know this nine ain't going to hear it right now. I need to do this calm in an email or through my lawyer or whatever else. It helps you serve them best, which what helps serve you best because you're going to get right. more of what you need and how you hurt. So I think there's a lot of layers here that can really help, especially in divorced care co-parenting ways when you do make that effort. And again, It really does take time. The Enneagram is not something where, as we just went through those bite-sized chunks, we're going to be like, oh yeah, that really helps me. I'm a peacemaker. I'm going to avoid peace. Well, you need to know why you're a peacemaker because there's a wounding message that made you a peacemaker. For a two, the wounding message is that my needs are not important and my needs don't have to be met. So that's interesting that I'm going to go meet everybody else's needs to bury that. And I'm not realizing, what are my needs? I have needs. What are you talking about? I don't want to have needs. I don't want to burden somebody, you know, but what, what are we doing when we don't know it? Burdening others. So, because some people don't need our help and don't want all our wonderful tunis. And so there's just so many good ways that you get such a better life from divorce and co-parenting to those friendships, to being a mom, being the best mom for them which is essentially what we're supposed to be, right? It's not about us. It's not about how can my kids make me feel good or be so appreciative of me, but me knowing that as a two, I need appreciation. Which of my three kids are bad at showing appreciation? I don't, that doesn't bother me anymore. And I don't need that from them. So it's very helpful. So many ways. I love it. Yeah, I think there might be a whole nother interview in here. I mean, we've got so many layers that we could go into. I love it. 
So we're running out of time, but I do want to quickly talk about briefly your other businesses that you have, because I find them so interesting and how you integrate Enneagrams into those and how it kind of fits into your life. Yeah. So, okay. I have four businesses. <laughs> There's that link three coming out, right? So the common thread of my multiple business, actually multiple businesses actually has a lot to do with being an Enneagram too. In my three businesses that I run, I get to help women become more confident. I get to meet their needs right where they are and to help them have a better life experience. That's everything that you want. So I get to, I get to be my best tunist. So for the four businesses, I run three of them myself, and then I co-own our fourth business with my husband. That's an Etsy shop, but he primarily runs that, so I can focus on the three other businesses. My first business is the one we've been talking about mainly today. I'm a certified Enneagram life coach, so I use the tools and the knowledge of the Enneagram type to coach women to gain more awareness about their true core motivations, their fears, their filters, and the way they're navigating everything. And like I said, I coach them where they are in their present present as opposed to focusing on the past. I want to move them forward. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor who might help you process your life experience or a specific emotional trauma. My purpose is to help you understand your true core self better using your Enneagram type. So, and then we walk through multiple areas of that. One thing I personally feel hiring a coach helps differently with than counseling or therapy is using the specific techniques that, that we apply and continuing to walk through them. So in my wedding photography business, which is one of my other business, I help my brides by being by their sides on their entire wedding day to not only capture all those beautiful photos that I do as a wedding photographer, but to help them really stay present to the wedding day and obviously relax during one of the best days of their lives. People are often like, what? You get brides to relax on a wedding day? Tell me more. (laughs) And I'm like, yes, because I develop a relationship with my brides. So I know them really well. I'm going to know their Enneagram number, what they're, what they're motivated most by on this day. It helps me know what their needs are through the wedding day so that I either can be a calming presence for a nine, an encouraging presence for a six or someone else, or I can be at that slower pace or with my seven brides, I'm the whoop it up partner through the day. I'm like, guess what we're going to do next? Oh my gosh, it's going to be so fun. I know what energy my brides are needing. So the Enneagram is an amazing tool to help both my brides and my grooms. And then my final business is I'm a boudoir photographer. So I get to help women feel confident and beautiful and see themselves the way that their partners see them or that they forget to see in themselves. So I get to bring out a sensuality that they may not have felt for years. I get to help them have the most awesome experience that starts out sometimes a little nervous, but always becomes like a fun, sexy day spa with their new bestie, me. We laugh, we listen to great music during the session, and they always leave feeling hot and connected. Yeah, and connected to the skin they're in. So just like my other businesses, knowing someone's Enneagram number, especially in my boudoir photography, can truly help me in getting them to relax and be prepared for their experience because I'm going to know their potential reactions. So maybe they want the music up loud. They want to play and have a blast and bring out the sexy aspect. Maybe they're my sevens. Someone else might need a little more encouragement because I know that they need that security and that trust and that safety. And some others might want to go a slow pace through the session. So someone being like, is going to be a little more intimidating. No matter what they need, I take my job seriously to meet their needs, give them the privacy they're looking for, and most importantly, have the best time ever. 
So I love it. So how can everybody find you? You've got, tell us your websites and your social media handles. Okay. So my boudoir photography Instagram is at darling boudoir and my wedding photography, senior photography, general photography is make it happen photography on Instagram. My Enneagram life coaching business is just my name at Alicia Larkey. That's L-A-R-K-E-Y. And then our Etsy shop is making magic happen. Our Instagram for that is making.magic.happen. So yeah, those are kind of, and then those same thing with all the websites. The websites Awesome. And I'll have links to all of those in the show notes too. Yeah. Well, Alicia, it's been such a pleasure. I've had so much fun exploring this and learning more about it. Now I want to buy like a bunch of books and Mm -hmm. just kind of do some research and really dig in. It's so fun. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. I love that's That's exactly what I want from anyone that they just want to continue learning and knowing more. So that's awesome. It's so cool. It's just another dimension of personal development and growth, really, mm-hmm. you know, and up leveling your relationships and your connections and your understanding of who you are and, and how you show up. So yeah. I'm always, yeah. always in for that, for sure. Well, exactly. thank you so much for being a guest. I appreciate you so much. It's been so fun. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being interested in this. And I'm just really excited that I got to meet you and that we got to talk. So yeah, yeah. so good. Thanks for joining today's episode of See the Upside podcast. For more details about today's guest and show notes and links, visit our website at seetheupside.com. You can find us on Instagram at see.theupside and Facebook at seetheupside. If you love today's show, please spread the light by giving us a rating or sharing it with a friend. We appreciate you so much and love sharing the positivity with anyone who could be inspired by it. We're all on a beautiful journey and it's so much more fun doing it together and sharing our stories with each other along the way. Can't wait till next time.